Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Cheese and pickle. Hello, this is Comfort Blanket and I'm Joel Morris. I'm going to be talking to someone about their safe place. The book or the record or the TV show or the film they go back to again and again when they want to feel comfortable and warm and looked after. Um, not a guilty pleasure, just somewhere that you feel is good. This time I'm talking to the journalist and broadcaster Julia Rayside. Julia writes about TV for the iPaper and The Guardian and The Sunday Times and various other papers uh, and is heard on Radio 4 and 6 Music talking about media subjects. She's also my wife and I thought this would be a good chance to talk about her comfort which she seems to get from the television programme Made in Chelsea. And this is an intervention and I wanted to explain herself. Take me to Chelsea, please. Can you get my phone, mate? Oh, my God, dude. Guess who it's from? Who? Kagi. Are you coming tonight? What do you want me to text back? Well, mate, yeah, tell her, tell her we're en route. Tell her we'll be there shortly. Tell her you're en route and let me word it for you. Sorry? Sing it like a Disney song. No, mate, that is fucking lead. You must be able to say something a bit cooler than I'm en route. No, mate. No, can't wait to see you. I'm just on my way. No, mate. No. Just, I'm on my I'm way. I'm on my way. <laughs> Send. She's going to be so excited to see you after that text, literally. I'm on my way. Now, you've chosen Made in Chelsea. I have, and, and yet you're still married to me. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, it just shows how much tolerance there is. I mean, sometimes in a family, you watch different things at different times, and you're a, a TV critic, and you write about very, very good programmes. But this is a programme that is regarded by the kind of people who find it very important to tell you what they're watching on streamers yes. as a thing that is the worst kind of filler television, and an example of something vacuous, empty, constructed, mean-spirited, fake yeah, you don't ever have to have watched it to have a very strong opinion about it, is the <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. And it certainly it feels like a, a probably the most affluent and privileged banner waiver for that type of television that is The Only Way is Essex and The Kardashians and an absolute byword for the kind of television that people who really say they love television it doesn't make them feel comforted. It makes them feel angry. Yes. But you find it really comforting. <laughs> I do. <laughs> and you I, love television. You know, sometimes you just have to go with your gut. <laughs> sometimes when you think I'm feeling sad or it's in the pandemic, I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling whatever. If I could click my fingers now, what do I want to see on television? And for me, I had to really rack my brains and think, is there anything else I could say? Is there anything else I could say? No, the answer is it's made in Chelsea. The reason being... It's it's beautifully made. It's like a sort of a series of, you know, dreamy pop promos right from series one. In fact, it was our friend Marsha Shander, who's a former XFM DJ. They have someone choosing incredibly good, appropriate music yeah. of the day. Obviously young skewed and it's on E4. But it basically looks like music television a yes. lot of the time. Certainly from my elderly perspective, it looked a lot like sort of MTV to me. And then glossy American soaps like The O.C. I think that was the Very of, aspirational. Very, very much so. And it so, comes from the, the hills and that kind of thing where, yeah. where what used to be uh, like super soaps, the Dawson's yeah. Creek, the O.C. kind of things, 
slowly morphed into aspirational, fly-on-the-wall, constructive reality through the hills yeah, and the Kardashians. And the exactly. Door. That's the kind of the ancestors of this type of show. And uh, the only way is Essex kind of started here and passed me by. I just wasn't really interested. I heard the words constructive reality and just thought, oh, well, that's not going to satisfy me. I'm a sophisticated being. Like a, <laughs> When I know it's partially constructed, it, it won't fool me for a second. I'm too cynical to enjoy this <laughs> exactly. cynically made programme. And I can't really remember why I started watching Wayne and Chelsea. But so what it is, you're watching the lives in quotation marks. You're watching elements of the lives of these young young, sort of early 20s, glossy, incredibly wealthy children. And, and they're real people. They're real people. It's a And as much as rich people can be qualified as real people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's Eloy and Morlocks. And they're the self-like, honey-coloured uh, overlords <laughs> of, of our society. Yeah. And we watch them at play. We're, all re- we're already getting to the heart of this. Um, they live in a kind of terrarium called Chelsea. <laughs> and it doesn't have the same air as ours. It doesn't have the same anything. It's always sort of sunset or, you know, a sort of rosy-fingered dawn. It's no, no other time of day exists. <laughs> yeah, they, they, only, they only leave the house the most... <laughs> moment the light is golden. Yes, because it makes their hair look nice. Yeah. Uh, they all have a lot of hair, glorious, luxuriant hair that they get blow-dried every three to four minutes. <laughs> and, and they're always drinking champagne at any time of day, whether they're having some kind of discussion, whether they're at the gym, whether they're at a funeral. They're, they're, I mean, they're not at funerals. They're, no one dies in Chelsea, no. obviously. There's always like a beautiful looking drink in front of them, a cocktail, a Bloody Mary if they're hungover because they're young and they can just keep going forever. Oh, it's completely aspirational. They live in incredible apartments that their mums and dads buy them. Um, they only ever wear designer clothes. They're, they're just quietly, happily fine. <laughs> we are going to Amber Atherton's jewellery launch. Who's Amber Atherton again? Amber is this 19-year-old socialite who has a jewellery website. Oh, it's going to be yeah. loads of high-profilers, loads of celebrities... Plus, it's my first girl about town blog, of so it's course. really important. Oh, really important. We are going to have so much fun. I know. No, babe, it's going to be amazing. You and me together, like always, always. So when you're watching them, it's in carefully constructed scenes. Usually, that they have deals with lots of very nice bars, clubs, restaurants, <laughs> um, occasionally gyms. As the series go on, there have been like 23 series of the main show now. Only 23. Only 23. And then probably like offshoots in New York, Croatia, when they go on nice holidays and stuff like that. Um, so probably more than 23. It's so you're not short of this. Well, no, no. It's very like the 12 perfect episodes of 40 Towers. <laughs> exactly. They've really honed it down to a, a small <laughs> cluster of perfect episodes. Yeah, um, yeah there's absolutely shitting loads of it, uh, which I'm glad about because I, I can always watch it like it's new, even though I have seen yeah. every single one. Um, every so- <laughs> single episode. And yet our marriage exists. I'm <laughs> genuinely grateful every day that you haven't left me. Um, but it's so you're watching beautifully shot, nicely soundtracked scenes involving some real emotion usually. So it's often it's mostly about people's relationships. Occasionally there'll be some filler scenes about someone starting a new business or, you know. Which Not is a real business. A hobby. Uh, there's occasionally, um, because they really know what they're doing, I think, these producers, there's like always some comic relief. There's a character who's been in it since the beginning called Mark Francis. Yes. And he gives bitchy, catty comments because he's there with his friend and they're like Statler and Waldorf. They yes, exactly. The world go by. It's lo- lovely to have. So his friend is called Victoria. That's it. And up until quite recently, so there are characters who very obviously, you never see them have relationships, you never see them do anything other than sort of say something arch over a glass of bubbly. They're quite canny, I think, because their lives are all off screen. Right. And they just are there to kind of Greek chorus some of the stuff, to say something catty, to be the comic relief. I'm so happy to be back. You are? Mm. I can tell. You know what? The summer really drained me. It did? Mm. I'm exhausted, Mark. I think I've been poisoned by every island I've been on. Well, I did tell you, Ibiza would be the island of sin. And it breaks up the incessant relationship chat, which otherwise even I, I think, would find a bit too much. Who's with who? Who's betrayed who? Exactly. Who can't see who because their ex-girlfriend is the person who's going to be at the party? Absolutely. It's so Jane Austen. And there's a lot... No, (laughs) it it completely is, but there's there's an awful lot of dramatic irony because... Um, which is like pretty much my favourite thing, I think. Your favourite kind of um, irony. It is, so is. <laughs> but that, because often you're seeing a scene where someone's discussing how so-and-so has cheated on so-and-so, and then you cut to the two so-and-sos, the one who hasn't admitted his infidelity and the girl who's talking about where she'd like to get engaged. And so there's, there's real emotion. But I have literally lost like, my best friend. Yeah, it's sad. I sound like a really cruel person when I describe why I like this show, but I'll explain, I'll explain. Um, there's real emotion, but a lot of it is just a producer has a word in someone's ear saying, right. uh, do you um, want to just ask her where she was last night? 
And then if the scene's not going that well, they'll kind of stop the scene and say, and pull the other character aside and say, could you just, um, you know, because I know this is where you wanted to tell him where you were last night. So maybe just um, cut to the chase because we need to, you know. So the events that it's depicting in these people's lives are broadly real. In the they, they are driven, things that have happened. driven by real events and real emotions. But to get the story moving, they will often falsify a conversation. I, I think it's genuinely the first time the two people will have talked about the subject, but yeah. they'll because they know more than sometimes they're like omnipotent in a way that yeah. the actual people in the scene sometimes aren't. They will try and sort of cheat it to get the the desired dramatic scene. I mean, I mean, I mean yeah. I'm, I mean, we're a bit of a knob. I thought you were a knob. What did I do? What did I do? Got with Spencer when we were seeing each other. We won't see each other. Though. I assure you, we were. Ollie, we never had that conversation at all. So this is—I mean, what you're talking about here is something which people, I think, who don't watch this kind of program will find say, "Well, how are you enjoying it? Because it's fake." And then, you've been oh, what, watch an episode and then tell me you didn't forget that some of it was fake. Well, that's it. I think what I found fascinating about it is I thought it would be, and I think what most people think is, this will be bad actors performing soap opera badly and if you like soap opera what the reason you watch coronation street or eastenders is those are good soap trained actors they're incredible and good actors writers and yeah. doing great stories which the stories of which will be uh, probably far more dramatic than these because these are quite low stakes I was trying to unwrap what I actually love about it why I find it comforting rather than just why I get my popcorn and go oh so and so you know bony bony beautiful lady splitting up with bony beautiful man how exciting is is that it's it's made by people who really know story so yes. often the migration from soap to constructed reality was quite a big wave of people that came over from story producing soaps to story producing real people um and again I put that in quotation marks so the people who are shaping this show they're an incredibly safe pair of hands in terms of story so it's like it's the comfort of watching a soap because they will never lose the thread of a story. They'll never drop the ball. Narratively, you are in safe story hands. But the ingredients, the thing they're sprinkling in, it should be bad actors. But because you know there's an element of real emotion in there, it's like hyper soap. It's soap with the kind of added visceral thrill of, oh, she really is upset that he's cheating on her. Get Francis over here right now. How fucking dare you come over here and tell her shit like that from an unreliable source Spencer. like Francis? Where would he have got it from? Why? Oh, yeah. What? 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 I'm fucking angry that you did this to my girlfriend. Look at this. We're not doing Spencer. This is what you've done. This is what you've fucking done to her. Are you taking the piss? You must be taking the absolute piss. We stopped watching things like the X Factor and things like that because you said this is uncomfortable watching these millionaires sneer and manipulate. Uh, people without their knowledge. Yeah, and because I used to work in TV, when I first left uni, I got lucky. I had a boyfriend who already lived in London. Otherwise, London rents were completely beyond me. I didn't have that kind of money. And I got a job in TV because uh, I'd done some work experience the summer before and I was paid like 300 quid a week, which was not enough to live in London even back then, just like Classic not at telly. all. Te terrible money. But I was, I was one of the lucky ones. So I was considered privileged. I got to have the effectively financial backing of living with someone who already lived in London. Yeah. And I got to have a job in TV and I was surrounded by very educated, mostly white, upper middle and middle class people who also had that privilege. And by the time I finished working in TV, not two years later, because I found it all a bit much, I had heard these very educated, privileged people who were, I was, it was the kind of TV where we were, we weren't doing constructive reality, but we were doing documentary series for like ITV and Sky. And, and it was basically you were surrounded by people going, are you going to put me on the telly? Oh my God, are you going to put yeah. me on the telly? Is my mum going to see me on the TV? This was the people of a class who would otherwise go into football just, just Just people who wanted to escape whatever they thought they weren't enjoying about their normal lives. They thought TV was better. And you'd see the stars appear in their yeah. eyes when you said what you did for a living and then, and then watch them fall over themselves and basically lose all their judgment in order to get on camera. And I think that relationship between the privileged people and the, the people who want to get on television always made me uncomfortable. And now when I see it kind of writ large in things like the Simon Cowell vehicles, mi literally millionaires sat behind a desk being rich, kind of laughing at and humiliating people who just want to get out of their lives because they're miserable and they want to be famous and they want to be rich like them. Um, yeah, it makes me massively uncomfortable. It's a bit Hunger games is isn't it's, it? It, it's, it? It really is. And, we've, and I hate to use this word, but we have normalised it. Our society now, I never thought we'd get here where it, most of the layers of 
of acceptability have been removed now and it is it's just really rich people going what do you think you're doing here you're embarrassing yourself get off the stage and and those people who are on the stage have been told by producers we think you're really good we're going to put you in front of the millionaires and it's it's just it's it makes me sick that was made very clear by that uh, horrible and uh, troubling jeremy kyle documentary recently right everyone is desperately making this thing using as its meat as its fodder for the factory yeah very often very poor or lower socioeconomic group people who are desperate to be on television which makes them vulnerable and it makes the producers effectively predatory because they're trying to make good television and whatever they talk about whenever they talk about safeguarding i think now it's a hundred times better than it was when i worked yeah. in tv but when i worked in tv i heard producers saying you know okay bring in the pond life they have no respect it was almost like when you send people to war you need to dehumanise the yes. enemy, so you have to see them as like non-people. And again, that culture has changed now, but not so much that I think safeguarding is at the top of their list. They've done a lot of performative stuff. That when Love Island came back after the tragedy of yeah. Caroline Flack's suicide, and then two contestants from Love Island, you know, that show has a body count, and they're still making it. So they made a big noise about safeguarding, huge press releases saying this is what we're doing. You get fourteen months of you know contact with producers. 18 therapy sessions when you come back it's like if you need this after you've been on a show like this stop making the show yeah. <laughs> it's not that important on today's show no she fault. was seeing him behind your back yeah you two are scum yeah. that's all you are it's scum. scum there's an abusive relationship in there because tv wants 23 series of things this is very often filler content it's hard to make six episodes of top quality drama but this stuff is the stuff that fills the schedules so there's a hunger to make lots of it and people get blinded to the people who are fed into that machine. Very much so. And I think coming back to Made in Chelsea, probably the reason why I got hooked on this, because it's, they're very easy shows to get hooked into. They're soapy. Yeah. You get the familiarity of the same people every week. You get really tight, neat little storylines that absolutely hit your pleasure centres. You're not getting Coronation Street, but you're almost getting like a version of yeah. And the reason I got hooked into this one was because when I looked at the model, the production model, which I, you inevitably do when you've made TV, you can't help but wonder how it's made. I didn't feel like that relationship was there with this show. I felt like the participants, they all have wealth. They, they have everything they could possibly need to make them robust to this process in a way that I think most other people in reality and constructive reality TV don't. I've never, I never sense there's like a mental health breakdown on the rise when these people... They don't have to do this. They just fancy it because they're bored and they're rich and they've got nothing else to do. Might be quite nice to try being famous for a bit. And often they do it for a bit and then they bugger off when they've had enough. It seems to be the power imbalance isn't there. They come and, and go means, quite easily. Don't what they? I'm saying is this is like the ethical stamp, like made <laughs> ethically, when, where I get my coffee, you know, yeah. is it the bit of the when end? I buy my chocolate. Is it the bit at the end of the film where it says no animals were hurt? The American Humane Association, no animals, no posh people were harmed. Yeah. It does, what's great about it is that they keep showing you the safety net. The safety net is visible because it, it opens with a shot of them getting out of a car. If this all goes wrong, they can sell the car. They'll just get back in the they car. Get into, they get yeah. into a house and you go, that house looks really safe. It, there's no one in here who is a boxer. No one here is punching someone and getting their face smashed in because otherwise they have to go back to the slums. Yes, there, there is no, there's no high wire here at all. Mm. And actually, really interestingly, quite early on, they started to bring in, because, you know, again, bored, rich people. Well, it might be a bit of fun to be on television. The parents start appearing. Really? So, yeah, there's a lovely character who's who's been in it. And she's not in it at the moment, actually. She went off and had a baby. Uh, there, there's, there's a slight kind of um, Logan's run thing of them hitting a certain age and not being asked to leave. They're, they can stay forever if they want to, but they all just kind of hit a point where they go, oh, I think I might go. They disappear. Might, the I might get married and have some kids or just, you know, maybe maybe check out. And the ones that don't, you're a bit sort of like, oh, you're still here, are you? Oh, <laughs> that says a lot. Yeah, so Binky is a lovely character in the early series. Her mum turns up. Lovely and lost, dim. Lo lovely, lo dim she, Binky. She's so dim, but she honestly, she is the golden heart of the show she kept me watching a lot when really? some of the other people were behaving terribly to each other she, she thought that Winnie the Pooh was written by Charles Dickens she did yeah. she did do that yeah and then she said oh no is that Pride and Prejudice Pride and Prejudice wrote Winnie the Pooh <laughs> yes of course Binky it was written by Pride and Prejudice the thing is I'd never looked down on her for her lack of intellectual um, sort of wisdom because I'm going to emotionally she is <laughs> yeah. one of the sweetest and smartest characters in the oh, show oh she's really nice actually I'm never standing too close to her no. <laughs> I look like a heffalump what was that? a heffalump it's, it's, it's from well, Winnie the Pooh heffalump I don't think it's a real animal it I think it's a made up animal oh that little piglet it's what it's who wrote Winnie the Pooh? 
Charles Dickens. How the hell do I not know that? That's, That's Charles Dickens, isn't it? Uh, Charles Dickens? Yeah, he wrote Running... No, that was... I don't know who wrote Pride and Prejudice. It reminded me of... I, um, I'm i not from posh stock, neither are you, but I, I made posh friends at uh, college and I'd occasionally go to... Yes. You, you've, you've lived near the King's Road. You occasionally would go in, like, go visiting a zoo. You'd go and visit posh Very people. Very much so, yeah. So I'd, I'd get invited. I remember going to a bar when I was very intimidated by how inherently entitled and swaggery and cool all the posh people I'd met yeah. when I went to university where everyone turned out to be posher than me, uh, with a few exceptions. And I'm going to, to a bar on the King's Road and meeting these sort of people when oh, I was really? about 19 or 20 and sitting there going, oh my God, they're so good looking and they're so cool. And assured. And they're assured and they just, and they, they command the table. They don't feel the need to prattle incessantly like we both do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they was, and then one of them went, oh, um, 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 and I went, oh, oh he's going to say something amazing. I better shut up because he's my better. And so, but he went, oh, did anyone see, um, did anyone see, um, it was on television last night. It was an amazing programme. And I leant in and he went, can't remember what it was. Did anyone see that? Oh, my God. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, my God, that wasn't a conversation. But, and, you, but you knew there was the space to say it because you are important and your voice must be heard. It was exactly that. And I remember thinking it was, firstly, I was shocked. I went, oh, you haven't got anything to say. Oh, you're posh, not clever. Yeah. And then I went, oh, great. I think I've got the measure of you. And he was a really nice person. It was fine. Oh, but he'd, completely. He'd stopped everyone talking in order to say nothing. Yes. And I thought. That's really interesting. Okay, I, you've, that's made in Chelsea. <laughs> yeah. And it was seeing it's be- like, there, there's a camera pointing at me. Well, I already knew I was entitled to say something, so I'll just start saying things. It was seeing lovely, <laughs> sweet-faced Binky open her mouth and say something as stupid as, did Charles Dickens write AML? Because she could have said nothing. Could have said nothing. She, she didn't know. So she needn't say With anything. her, it's more enthusiasm, though, than, than uh, well, I, I know I simply must say something because I'm super important. But and, no one minded and no. everyone was really sweet. Everyone teased her a bit for it, but that was it. But and it, I, it, it, there's a lovely sort of feeling of, again, they're safe. No one's going to ruin her life for being ignorant. It's the opposite of someone on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire getting a question wrong, right, where everything's at stake and it, they, yeah. they lost £3,000 and that was going to help pay the bills. I think that's why, yes, there's that's a really good point. There's something about the safety. Safety is a really good word because if I'm stupid enough to look at the actual news and see what's going on in the actual world, <laughs> genuinely, my first thought is I want to go and watch uh, some, some posh people where nothing matters because it's all so terribly safe. In so many ways there's nothing at stake for them. There's something so incredibly low stakes about that show and how easy it is to get lost in it because it's beautifully produced that that makes me feel safe too, even though I don't live there and I don't have their money. And when I watch them, I think I just feel like the world has gone away. It is literally, like, it's like sealing yourself in a, in a, yeah. in a bubble. They don't live in my world. They live in a world where the stakes are completely different and it's interesting, the later series, which I'm not, I mean, I still love the show. They've started to bring in a little bit of real life, just because I guess they're getting older. Or almost the stakes are too high. It's, it doesn't belong in Made in Chelsea. There should be a spin-off show. That's more soap. Actually, I don't weirdly. want real reality. I want, oh, uh, what if um, the right people don't come to this jewellery launch? Like, that's the stakes <laughs> I want. And genuinely, I will watch that all the live long day. And then, the of course, of, you get... <laughs> Stakes you get in like Trumpton or Camberwick Green or, or Fireman Sam or Acorn Antiques. Well, actually, what it talking? kind of is Acorn Antiques, <laughs> isn't it? Better. You look marvellous. So you're out of intensive care. I told Doctor Spencer I had to get back and help you out in the shop, so he cured me. So here I am. <laughs> um, it's actually it's a, that's a really good point. What you're talking about here is something that um, there is a need for narrative. You've talked about this a lot. With with me when we've been deciding what to watch, yeah, and you said the thing that's missing from television, yeah, is low stakes drama because every drama opens with uh, instant tape and a dead woman, right, and or uh, a bomb I'm about to go so off. Sick of or, dead ladies. Or, or people, people <laughs> trapped somewhere while a bomb's going to go off. Yeah, everything's very high stakes because it wants to get your attention. And what's happened in soap is there's yeah. been a mission creep towards what used to be the preserve of, say, a Wednesday drama, yeah. uh, murder, rape, uh, uh, kidnapping. Soaps had to really turn the dial up. Huge stunts and... Uh, Tram crashes. Trams and- coming off bridges, you know, and that's amazing. I remember the year I did um, Judging on the Soap Awards mm-hmm. and you were kind of in the next room and I was watching episode after episode of Soaps and we, I, I had given, you know, Soaps became too much. I think if you're a journalist who writes about TV, you either decide you're going to write about Soaps or you yeah. sort of don't because it's, there's too much of it. And um, so I hadn't watched soaps for a long time. And you were just like, what is that noise coming through the wall? And it was just the pitch of soaps now. Yeah, shouting. Shrieking and, and shouting and explosions and murder and bang and crash. And it's all, it's all a bit too much. And yeah, high stakes drama seems to pervade all. And it's probably why I did my Howard's Way podcast. Exactly. I was about to say, you, because you I want, want somewhere where people are safe. Yeah, I want to see good writing where it doesn't resort to 
a murder been done? I, I just want to see human interaction and honest emotional exchanges. And even if this is a really odd plastic cheese artificial <laughs> version of that, it's still giving me the incredibly low bubble of like, nothing matters, doesn't matter, well, which I think I need. This is to, come on man. friends, first dates and the future. Let's cruise. So long, ladies. There's a very strange thing in this, which is they look like Barbie dolls. They look like like posh dolls. There's there's a look, there's They're an not- aesthetic, and there's there's one character of colour now, Paris, who is such a late addition. It's like it's again, it's shocking how I hadn't yeah. noticed there are no people who aren't bronzed, caramel, creamy, or white. There's nobody of colour in this show. And now there's one. Obviously, she's a model, obviously, and she's posh. But she actually did get to talk about dating and what it's like as a woman of colour and how sometimes you can still walk into a Chelsea parlour of your new boyfriend and be looked up and down by his parents because they're like, oh, you've brought one of these home. And it was it was actually shocking to hear her talk about it. It's an incredibly unnecessarily undiverse cast. Yes, the the aesthetic is blow dries, um, very young women with lots of Botox, like immovable faces and um, and men who all I mean, there isn't a man who doesn't work out. Yeah, and there's a sort of sort of genital free safety to it. <laughs> yes. They're all talking about sex, but you can't imagine any of them actually having sex. Oh God, no! Um, now you've just said that, I feel a little bit like I want to suck my thumb and rock in a corner. <laughs> but that's—I think—that's it. Is the stakes in this? So, what's the subject matter? The subject matter is uh, the relationships of twenty-somethings where they fall in and out of love and they betray each other. Yeah. But it's all at a level of a of a Playmobil posh playset where they bump, they bump into each other, and it's like playing with dollies. That's a really good point because I'm just thinking about it now. I was doing um, a radio phone-in recently and talking about, is there too much sex on television? And it was lots of people phoning in and saying, oh, there's too much sex on television. <laughs> I just thought, well, there's not any more than there used to be. I think it's just the idea that there's different different sorts of sex now. There's queer sex yes. and there's realistic sex, but it doesn't mean there's too much sex. Yeah. I think we're just seeing it differently. And the new series of Bridgerton has just been on and there's like one or two sex scenes and they're right at the end of like eight or nine episodes. And really make you have way. to wait. Yeah, completely. <laughs> Made in Chelsea. Some people might call it a sexy show. There's no... No sex. Yeah. But even when it, there's an emotional build to a, are they, aren't they, are they, aren't they? And then a couple kiss, you cut away really quickly. Like it's not the point. You're yeah. watching the tittering behind fans and the kind of the dipped eyes and the and the men on horseback kind of flaring their nostrils. You are not watching them going at it in a head. Yeah. Like it's, we're not interested. <laughs> Mr. Darcy. Miss Bennett. I, uh... I did not expect to see you. So. I returned a day early. We're interested in the grand jet, the things they do with their money. There was one amazing end to a series where a guy had cheated on a girl. It's always a guy cheating on a girl. And she was deciding whether or not to take him back. And in order to really make a big pull out all the stops gesture at the end of the series, because it's the end of the series, they need their end of series. It was at night, a ball outside in the gardens. He got an owl to fly in with like a bracelet <laughs> in its beak for her. Genuinely a fucking owl and you're just like that's what i want to watch i want to watch like effectively hogwarts and i want it to be a magic fairy world it's where the they labyrinth do... ball that's <laughs> all in it completely nuts but you know that's great that's my escapism that's my well this isn't like real life there's not going to be a nuclear war here he's not going to die of cancer is in he? a minute jarvis cocker is going to get up there and do a song about wizards <laughs> yes at exactly. the big ball completely. just like at the hogwarts ball. yeah again that pleasure center the same one lights up i want to play with some toys and then put them away and then and i don't want to see their penises or vaginas thank you very much <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's about one subject, which is who's fucking who. Yeah. But they never say who's fucking who. No. It's always about, uh, or the language is all about sort of relationship, seeing, betrayal. Sort of thing. It's incredibly sanitised. Yeah. And it reminded me oddly. Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm, I always want to say this because I find when, especially when men dismiss yeah. a genre that women enjoy. Yeah. I always want to find the man's equivalent of it. Ah. And as far as I'm concerned, this is people, there's an event that goes on that you don't show. Yeah. 
that everyone talks about all the time and they just televise people talking about the reaction yeah so it's sky sports news <laughs> or football focus they don't show the match no but everyone talks in enormous detail about it and also they talk about it i noticed in the way that people talk about transfer windows who's going with who <laughs> yes, and yes the fascination that men have with not the game of football but who's going to be picked for the team Completely. the management it is about people pairing off and and that and the relentless discussions about who's with who who now can't go with who it's they talk about the event and never show it. It's no, it's completely true, and and everyone is far too interested in the minutiae yeah. because obviously, when you think about their real lives, which is impossible to do because they just they just get taken out of a drawer, out of carefully packed <laughs> like sort of like cotton wool wadding, it, and they're popped back in after the cameras stop rolling. Um, but when you think about their real lives, they must spend about maybe five percent of it filming Made in Chelsea. Yeah, genuinely, they must be filming an awful lot yeah. of the time. But there's a pretty big cast, and I guess it's spread over a long like a long soap period. opera. Completely. I, I, this is all conjecture. But the rest of their lives, they must spend smoking, shagging, taking cocaine because they're rich young people yeah. and some of them must be doing that. Shopping, hearing one of their parents has got cancer. Um, you know, that so much of life is not on the screen. Yes. The bits that I, you know, I live myself, I don't want to see them on yeah. screen. I want to see this weird, it's like opening a lunchbox. <laughs> like I think they might smell of lunchboxes when you actually get close to them. They're sealed, they're neat, there's no rubbish. Everything is set dressed and designed. And even as I'm thinking about it now, and I, oh, I'm TV savvy, I used to work in TV. How quickly I forget that that's not real yeah. sometimes actually really takes my breath away. I just think it's incredibly clever the way those very low stakes stories are packaged in a way that just sucks me in. I almost believe it's real. Aww, I'm so glad you're here. I'm a bit pissed off. Why? My hair used to be exceptional and it's going downhill, I feel. You're actually joking? No. Why? It it's has fine. volume. <laughs> it has inside. volume? Like I wake up in the mornings now, honestly. Yeah. And static is in my hair. How do you get static? Overnight. One of our friends works on Strictly Come Dancing. Sometimes he makes the VT packages. Yeah. And the year that um, Jimmy Biscuits, so Jamie Leng, the heir to a biscuit fortune, they're all the heir to something fortune. Hence Jimmy Biscuits. Yeah. The crossover inevitably happened. The people from reality TV, there's always at least one or two of them now on Strictly Come Dancing, the very mainstream BBC dance extravaganza. Dancing their show dance, Jamie Leng and Karen Howard. So Jamie Lang got his second stab at it because the first year he was going to be partnered with Oti Mabuse oh. and then he uh, injured his leg in training. By moving around the first time anyone in Chelsea has ever moved well, around. Well, exactly, because they all, they're all they all magically thin without moving around. Yeah. So when you have to move around, it's like, oh shit, my legs don't work. <laughs> um, <laughs> so his moment of, uh, you know, a next level stardom was whipped away from him. He uh, ended up on Strictly, our friend who works on Strictly, was saying what a nice guy he is. And I was like, no, I've wa- I watched him on like Made in Chelsea for eight years. He's an absolute beast. He He's a narcissist. He cheats on all of his girlfriends. He manipulates his friends. He's a dreadful person. And he was just like, oh, no, he's genuinely, he's a really nice guy. <laughs> and I thought I was right, having never met him. And I thought John was just completely deluded. Because for a minute there, I just had to like hit the side of my head and go, TV guy is probably produced to look like. It doesn't matter who you he don't really know is these people. to me. I know I know their TV personas and that's all I care about. I don't want to know anything real about them. I want yeah. to know their pretend thing going on on, t- on TV, which is really sad and weird. I suppose in a way I'm saying I've become quite desensitised to the fact that they're real people, but I feel okay about that because they're posh wealthy and will never have any real life struggles. Yeah, we know that, that posh people don't suffer any consequences of their actions. That's been proven Literally again none. and again. They're consequence free. And actually, yes, as the, the more we progress into this dystopian <laughs> reality that we live in now, I feel less bad. As time goes on, about watching them and going, ha! Predating. Eat the rich. My skateboard. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, product of a misspent youth. Yeah. Um, skateboard here. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was a bit more understated than the uh, Phantom. There's a thing that these shows uh, perform as a function that I think people are really not keen to admit loads of other television does as a function, ah. as a human. And it's interesting that this program was on E4. And it went really big on E4 and was a huge mainstay of their schedules mm-hmm. at exactly the moment that E4 lost friends. Yeah. E4 lost friends and it replaced it with what feels like sort of, uh, in terms of if television is a sausage, the the rusk, the cheap filler that bulks out the sausage is Completely. this kind of television. And, and it's telling how much of the year this show is on screens, like new episodes of this show. It is definitely a mainstay of their schedules now. But you can look at that from two angles. You can look at it from the point of view of someone who understands how sausages are made and go, mm-hmm. it's really bad. There's so much rusk 
in our lovely sausage. There yeah. used to be so much meat. This would be replaced by wonderful uh, TV programs. This should be, uh, Frasier should be on more right, than Right, yeah. If you look at it from the point of view of someone who eats sausages and thinks sausages are delicious. That's like me. Television, <laughs> what this is doing is fulfilling, weirdly, it's like corn. It is the same taste and flavour and function as meat most of the time. Yeah. Because what you're watching it for, we are. I'm going to get grand now. Um, <laughs> we've lost our villages, our uh, our families. We're disparate. We all move away from our families. We've lost the people we can gossip about and yes. follow their relationships and their lifestyles. So what we do, replace them with celebrities. Oh, yeah, celebrities. And for we sure. replace them with the characters in sitcoms, yeah. people we get to know. You know exactly what Frasier's going to do, what Niles is going to do. Yeah, the familiarity is a do. huge part <clears> of it. You go, typical Phoebe, typical Joey, typical whoever it is yeah. in your favourite sitcoms. You get to know, it's why people only tend to like sitcoms on season two or yeah. suddenly find that sitcom, I hated Friends at first, six episodes in, it was my favourite show, because yeah. I'd learned who they were. Yeah. What you're doing is they are surrogates for your village and that's what all the characters in EastEnders are and everything. As a viewer, you will watch anything which tickles the part of your brain that is watching, that is people watching, that is yeah. eavesdropping in a cafe and going, oh, I wonder what they're up to. Yeah. We're human beings, we want this. What was shocking about this programme and Towie and the Kardashians, the Osbournes, yeah. And Big Brother was that they realised that that part of your brain that needs working, you need to watch people. Yeah. God, especially in lockdown when you didn't see anybody. Oh for ages. my gosh, yeah. You want to go somewhere where you can watch your little village of people. And that, as we said, it's a toy set, it's a play set. You yeah. know these characters. You want to watch the dollies move about and then go, oh, where's she going? No one's going to surprise you. If anything is coming, it'll be flagged up like seven episodes before. It's like it's all very safe. So you know Jimmy Biscuits. Yeah. You know Jimmy Biscuits. You know who he's. He's Dirty Dan. He's untrustworthy. And when he's you meet someone, really, he goes, actually, Leslie Grantham isn't Dirty Dan. He's done some murders, but he's not Dirty <laughs> he's Dan. He's done some murders. done some of their bad, murders. Bad but example, but yeah. I immediately picked exactly the wrong character. Um, it turns out that Adam Woodyard isn't like Ian Beale. Yeah. Um, that real thing of going, oh, they play. But what they're doing for you, yeah. it doesn't matter who those people are. And I think during lockdown particularly, and during television overload, it's surprising how many people, when they say, what's your comfort viewing, haven't said Breaking Bad. No. They have said, do you know what? I really like watching The Great British Bake Off. Yeah. Because it's low stakes and I get to know those characters. Yeah. We said it's about Taskmaster. Within one episode of Taskmaster. Oh, the best show on television. Oddly, it's a panel game because the cast keep coming back. You know who they all are. Yeah. And so by episode three, you can't stop watching because you want to know how the people who you know really well, the little family, are going yeah. to react. Yeah. And anything can and be that. And they cast it brilliantly. But vote-off shows can be that, and soap operas can be that, and great dramas can be that. They're all tickling the same part of your brain. And I think people who criticise television for being junk don't admit how much they watched Mad Men It's the, the same, same thing way. wearing a different... Completely yeah. correct. It's the same thing wearing a different coat. I think there are, there are things that are broadly accepted. We all talk about Taskmaster, because it is genuinely brilliant, Bake Off, those kinds of shows where... Probably your mum and dad will watch them and your, um, you know, people will openly admit to liking them and enjoying them. And then this, like you said, very specifically quite female skewed shows that, are, that have this soapy element, this relationship element. They're effectively, the, you know, the chiclet of TV, yeah. and like a, a, an incredibly, you know, ex a successful genre loved by people but somehow looked down on even though it's just doing the same job as all the things we've just talked about obviously got lots of friends who write women's commercial fiction and and live under this and it'll never it never seems to change no. it's talked about as somehow lesser shameful embarrassing it's brilliant people writing stories you want to read this tv it's not shit tv like i will i will die on that hill <laughs> the, seeing how they make it seeing who makes it it was a real brain drain in television after when Big Brother was evidently coming to the end of its reign. Before it disappeared forever on Channel 5. Before it evaporated no, no and ceased to it. exist. It's impossible to see it now. Yeah. You can't pick up Channel 5. It doesn't exist. <laughs> I mean, it's not even on Channel 5 now, so it's like it's, it's gone through <laughs> yes, limbo and gone, into yeah, the yeah. afterlife. Um, <laughs> the rapture! Of, had, so there was a big brain drain in TV. It was just, just after I'd left TV, lots of friends were still working in it, um, where broadcasters were all, certainly the kind of the production companies I was working for, lots of sort of um, reality and popular factual and, and documentary companies were all in a race, <laughs> I want to say to the bottom, to find the new <laughs> thing. Where is, what? it's fashion, what's the next thing yeah. that everyone is going to fall on like wasps on a jam sandwich? What's the new thing in TV? And obviously it turned out it was constructed reality. Yeah. But the idea that this is just something that was 
accidentally popular. These are people who understand storytelling yeah. and audiences and they think about what an audience wants and they and they're clever and they they work out in in ways that I never could. I wasn't very good at TV development because genuinely I was in a meeting once and someone said uh, we were trying to think of what the new big breakfast could be and someone said we could do it on a train and everyone went mad like they'd come up with like Stephen Hawking had just wheeled into the room and said something (laughs) about the universe I was like I don't understand this but which is the downside of development but but I did I work when that's obviously that's the kind of public perception of like how tv gets made but I met some of the most incredibly brainy terrifying producers who just knew they know, they editorially know television. They know how to make something that will grab people. You or I couldn't do it. They can yeah. do it. And um, Made in Chelsea is a hundred million miles away from shit television because the production and the thought and the casting that's gone into it. I I couldn't do it when I worked. I wasn't good at it. I couldn't do this in television. And I appreciate yeah. the the talents of the people who make it. It is a brilliantly made show. What worries me the most is that this cat appears to have taken to me rather. This cat really likes you. <gasps> oh, oh my god, what is it doing? Hang on. Not on Tom Ford. I shan't be climbed. In terms of television, I mean, this is factory produced food. Yeah. Uh, produced to, uh, in, in, in what well, looks like very sanitary conditions. It's full of preservatives, Joel. We know this. Yeah, Botox and fillers. <laughs> and it's, it, it's been made to, to be uh, a brilliant junk television. But what it feels mm. like to me is the way that you feel uncomfortable. Um, with the process that makes cheap food sometimes. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I know this is full of junk because it cost me 25p. Yeah. This I saw that like- program where they made margarine, low-fat margarine, oh. and until they dyed it yellow, it was like grey plastic sludge. And I was That's- like, I'm never eating low-fat margarine again. <laughs> I think people who dismiss constructed reality TV forget the way that you can have a visceral reaction to the production methods of something Yeah. so that you would never, ever eat... Uh, popcorn, bacon, octopus shaped in glitter from Iceland. <laughs> but you will definitely eat a Waitrose ready meal. Right. Because it appears to be, and it fools you thinking it's been nice and made. It's codified as like somebody did it on a farm. Fair trade on the front of it. And <laughs> in a this, basket. And if you like junk television, you want your soapy hit and you want not six episodes of it, but 28 episodes of it. Yeah. And you tune into E4 and you say, I want to watch some relationships and some people do it. This feels like the difference between those two sorts of Are you cooking. saying it's Waitrose? You are, aren't it's, you? It's a, it's a Marks and Spencer's <laughs> taste of difference. In terms of even the way it's filmed and shot, it hits your inbuilt snobbery that he goes, actually, I can probably eat this junk food because it was made on a nice farm. Yeah. And because of the people involved looking like they're not going to be hurt by it too much, there's a class thing in it that goes, I think they know what the deal is. Yeah. They've not been lied to, I don't think, because the people who are making the show, even at the top level of affluent uh, white upper middle class people who make television are the same people who are in it yeah. they're making it using their own it feels safe and it, I feel happier watching it I think people who dismiss this kind of television go it's all the same yes but there is a massive difference between the Kardashians and Love Island there's a massive difference between this and and Jeremy Kyle yeah I think there's there's so much of that the, the TV you just listed that I that I won't and don't watch and not because I'm principled. I just, I don't enjoy it. It sets my teeth on edge. I can see what they're doing. I can see how they've manipulated the cast. I can see, I can just see how it's it's been produced. Or I can literally see the headlines about, you know, people going on those shows, the aftercare being terrible, yeah. the social media kind of trap they fall into afterwards where they do, effectively now they do things like Love Island to get huge social media following so that they can give up their jobs yeah. and just post for money. You know, five grand a post from a company means you you don't have to have a job anymore. There's huge money. But it means you're trapped on social media where everyone can tell you you're shit to the point where two of those contestants are no longer alive. They killed themselves. Um, I can I can not that I could I could see any of that coming, but I can see the lack of care and the and the lack of equality in those relationships between production and talent or, you know, the people on screen. I can see the sneer involved in the making of those programs and I can't watch them. I don't want to watch them because they don't make me feel good. I'm not saying Made in Chelsea makes me feel amazing, but it is my version of that lovely chewing gum that I know hasn't been made by killing lots of children in a third world country. Um, It's just, yeah, it just makes me feel okay about. Ethical shit. (laughs) Ethical shit. It's not shit. 
It's really good. Weirdly, you're hitting on something there that is basically that I think that the metaphor really works. This is an ethical sausage. This is going to the <laughs> farmer's market and getting a, a giggly pig sausage that's been made by a farmer and you meet the farmer and you go, the farmer's going to be okay. Mm. I tell you what, if I don't buy his sausages, yeah. they're going to be okay. There's very little at stake and the difference you feel. I remember doing some work for... A well-known British television programme. Yeah. Uh, briefly, when it first started and we helped write the... Oh, you did wrote, the book, wrote, didn't wrote you? Wrote the yeah, yeah. Time book. Mm. Um, so got to meet all the different families and the shocking thing about that, and I'm probably breaking an NDA by doing this, but they don't employ me anymore. Did you sign anything? Let's oh, I can't remember. <laughs> but the really shocking thing was... the way the A well-known British television programme. worked is It was uh, families and they were all from different classes. So you got to meet all the different classes. It was really fascinating going to different people's like houses. Like a snapshot of the country because you went up and down the land, yeah, didn't so went, you? Yeah. Visited them, they were all, I tell you, to a man, lovely, yeah. lovely, lovely people. I mean, Jane, the, the families are re- were really, really nice. Yeah. What was really interesting is how they'd been treated by the production company. Yeah. And that was completely contingent on their class. Completely. And the production company, or certain members of the production company, used to complain constantly about the posh ones. Right. And the reason was, reading between the lines, the posh ones knew what was being made. Right. Because they had friends who worked in television. They probably owned television companies. Yeah. So they knew their value to the production company. So they'd ask for more money. Their reasons for doing it are quite different. And they had a wine business on the side. So basically, you met the, met the people. They're a bit up themselves. No, they're not. They were really, really nice. And they were exactly like you'd expect yeah. from that class. Yeah. They knew their value. So they charged the production company that amount of money for yeah. using their house. They knew they could. Yeah. They could. They, they, they knew their place. They were entitled to ask. They were, they sort of said, don't inconvenience us. We've got a life to live. We've got a business to run. So they were, as far as the production company were concerned, a pain in the ass. They were being difficult because they were asking for things, yeah. The working class and lower middle class families took the location fee of 60 quid or whatever it was yeah. and said, thank you for letting us be on television. Thanks for giving us this opportunity. And then, said, yeah. and then said to us who were writing the book, you know people in television, is there money in this? And they were going, well, what if I sign up to go on Big Brother? Would there be money in it? And they had a completely different relationship. And it was so naked because it was a yeah. class tourist show. Yeah. That now when I watch television, I can see that voice from production. As yes. In, if you get poor people on, they will do what you want. And that's very much my experience from working in TV, albeit 20 years ago. Uh, I wonder how much that's really changed. When you're watching Made in Chelsea, there is a comfort in knowing these people are dancing and jiggling about for your entertainment. And they know what they're doing. Yeah. And it's it's even, it's on screen. It's all kind of there for you, even if it's not intended to, to make you feel better about watching it. You see property and you see, especially with the boys, never with the girls, you see cars and you see fathers and mothers and inevitably they'll have a country pile. Yeah. And then there's somewhere for them to stay in London. You'll see all the visual signifiers of don't worry, these guys are fine. Safety net is visible on screen. The shot has got the safety net in it. So it really you know they has. haven't got far to fall. It's like they're giving you all the reassurance you need while you're chewing. <laughs> it's just very, it's very like comforting. Like Cirque de, emotional Cirque du Soleil, but they're on the ground <laughs> and they occasionally, they occasionally do a little bit. And I, they might do, that analogy works perfectly. They're, they're dangling from the ceiling, but there's so many mattresses piled up <laughs> that the floor is like an inch beneath their toes. So, so they're, they're performing as if like it's a, or it could, could go either way, but actually when they do fall off, it's like a lovely whoomp. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a great thing with, with stakes and things. You sort of said your love for, for low stakes drama like Howard's yeah. Way. The kind of thing we don't get on television very much yeah. in the things very high stakes. Low stakes drama is great because your job as a viewer is to look and go, oh, everything depends on whether the boatyard launch goes for the Acorn yeah. Antiques kind of draw. Acorn Antiques yeah. kind of draw. Everything really depends on, on, the, on the new opening with the macaroons going well. As I say, it certainly sounds like a genuine Picasso, Martin, but I would have to see it to be sure. <laughs> Bye. And you can kid yourself that it's high drama. And I, like, and I do. I hug my knees and I think, oh God, what happens if... <laughs> <laughs> you know, they don't they don't get to the Jolly Sailor in time before, you know, the boatyard closes. It's almost like um it's a roller coaster, it's a it's a safe place to put your Oh god, what if? What my brain's really doing is what if Putin presses the button? We're all yeah. fucked. But what I'm actually worried about is well what if what if he finds out that she's been talking to Julius about the affair that they had and the thing and the thing much better to kind of work those muscles in a safe gym. It's like, you know, when I play Lara Croft <laughs> and I never play the game, I just have her do flips around the gym. There's yeah. a little gym in her mansion. 
<laughs> oh god, she lives in a fucking mansion. Yeah, I'm and obsessed. She's got, a, she's got an accent. She's from all rich people. Well, I think they do all look like Lara Croft. They're like CGI. <laughs> I never want to take her out onto any of her missions because, like, well, she might drown or she might, might shoot at She her. might get shot. There's and, a tiger. Yeah, I'm not doing that. So I'll just she'll just jump over some hobby horses in a gym I've and heard, then go and sit in her mansion and maybe have a gin and tonic. <laughs> I've heard this from loads of people, especially women. Took her for a run, run. So to, much fun. They'd occasionally lock the butler in the in the basement. That would be about. That's hilarious. And then they just yeah. jump around the gym. This used to be the ballroom, but I've converted it into my own personal gym. What do you think? Well, let's do some exercises. It's like going to a like going to a really big theme park and going. Do you know what? I want to go on the teacup ride. Genuinely, I don't want to be sick. With the walk button down, I won't fall off, even if you try to make me. Go on, try it. There's something really fun about the teacup ride. I sometimes. want to do the little one. Usually, there's like maybe one Alton Towers where you're on like a little boat going through a fantasy world. It's that's made in Chelsea. <laughs> I want to see, and the and the animated characters only have three or four things they do. They nod and then they wave, and then they they hold a flower. That's what I want to watch. I want to watch like rich <laughs> rich people with little dogs in bags, kind of sipping and then putting down their champagne, then sipping, then putting down the champagne. That's what I like. It's reassuring repetition. Chessington world of wealth. That's what you want to go to. It's so safe. I think we find, I really wanted to work out why I like it. I think we've got there. It's like a massage for me. It really is. A second toast to my best friend, Rosie Fortescue, for hooking up with Hugo Taylor while we were together and lying about it. Here's to friendship. With shows that people dismiss a lot, yeah, very often, as you pointed out, they haven't seen them. Oh yeah, they, they've seen they've seen these people win an award at the Baftas and gone, "Who are these idiots?" Or very often they come on as a contestant on Strictly and go, "I've never heard of him." Exactly. Um, yeah, that's that's people's general and that's, reaction. That's fine. That's you know some things you can't absorb all of culture. It's fine. Yeah, and that's fine. But I think people dismiss this stuff very easily without knowing what it is. I think one of the problems with that is you don't know these people, so you don't know who they are if you're outside it, but also you don't know them, so you could even switch on. And watch one episode of this. Yeah. And if you switched off after 10 minutes going, who are these awful people? <laughs> Which I think I would do. I'd yeah. go, oh, God, it's like being a wedding where I don't know anybody. Yeah. It's awful. What you're not doing is what everyone really does with these programmes is watch them for long enough to get to know everybody. So there's some weight to the discussion. And the familiarity, yeah. You know what the characters do. And these are the same people who say, oh, I watched 10 minutes of it was garbage, who then say... You've got to watch this new show. Yeah. It gets good in, in series two. Oh, God. We're beset on all sides by people who say you've got to watch this thing and that thing, but don't expect it to be any good until episode eight. And I just want to tell them to fuck off. <laughs> I haven't got the time. <laughs> they're not explaining something which is inherent to some astonishing piece of drama. No. They're just describing how fiction works. How it takes a while to get its hooks into you. All you're doing when you're watching anything is guessing what the characters will do. Yeah. And either going, oh, good, they did what I expected, or, oh, I didn't expect that. Yeah. That's all you're doing when you're watching... Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. <laughs> it is all you're doing when you're watching I often anything. think that Made in Chelsea and Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy are in the same. <laughs> They're impenetrable <laughs> to outsiders. They're all set in West London. And like everyone in Smiley's People talks like this with yes, a vocal cry. Oh, I'm just, I don't really open my mouth very much. And you, no, and the, the mouth opening thing is key. You and you and our child, whenever I say I'm going off, you know, to my shame loft to watch Made in <laughs> Chelsea, D Douglas will say, are you going to go and spend some time with your friends? Because they can't say friends, it would involve too much gaping of the mouth. It's fronds. But they are your fronds. My very are, good fronds. They yes. are people that you know. And I think that's the thing that is I've known them for 10 years. Yeah, you've got a 10 year relationship with these people. What I was shocked <laughs> by watching, because it's been, it's an ambient show in our house. I watch it occasionally. Yes. I'm wondering it's happening. I go, yeah. But because I had to watch a few episodes to come and do this chat today, mm. I went, first 10 minutes, I went, I don't know who anyone is. Right. This appears to be literally a living hell of people talking like this, and I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> 10 minutes in, I was going, oh, yeah, but she doesn't like him. Oh, that's quick. It's well made enough, and the storylining is good, yeah. and the editing is good, and the direction of the performances is good enough. Safe go, hands, Joel. And it's all about clarity. Yep. That guy's a meanie. That person's uh, betraying the person. This person is has good good heart. Yep. This person's funny and catty. I know who they are. Within 10 minutes, I knew who they were. I'm not saying it was my favourite show, but by the end of the first episode, I want to go want to know what happened next. Right. I think people underrate how much they dismiss something. That they're not already familiar with. Yeah. What someone else is getting out of this is familiarity. It is a village in which you know everybody. Yeah. That's why I come back to it. And that's why I have come back to it for 10 years. And, you know, the, the trajectories of the people in it, obviously lots of people have left, you know, the flat 
the flat edge of Made in Chelsea, they've fallen off the edge. Here be common people <laughs> exactly. off the edge. Steer oh, no, they, away. They just go to a different terrarium. It's St. Bart's, I believe, is very popular. <laughs> they go skiing. <laughs> they do. They, they ski over the edge. Yeah, they, they summer in St. Bart's and they ski in the winter. Um, there are, so, yeah, there are people who've been and gone. Um, Kagi, who just for that one series, I think, was going to be the narrator, they dropped that um, pretty quickly because they didn't need it. You may have heard rumours that Chelsea is an exclusive world of royals, aristocrats and playboys. But the gossip is as startling as the prices. Well, it's all true. And I know. I'm Kagi Dunlop and this is my world. You just needed to watch it as a soap opera, not as a documentary. It's not Fly on the Wall, it's soap. Yeah, when they you, got rid of the narrator, it really took flight. If I you think. watch episode one, it opens... Very tellingly like yeah. Sex and the City. Yeah. Uh, and then and there's, there's even a character called Cheska who's doing a blog called Girl About Town, which couldn't yeah. be more. Oh, you've watched Sex and the City and you've watched this. and it, it, Don't it's, worry, it's, it's a bit like that. It's a bit like that. And that was quite clever. Yeah. And it's, it's constantly trying to excuse itself. And in a few episodes, it's gone, oh, actually, it's all right. Oh, the day, the day it becomes, ironically, like a character from Made in Chelsea who just is allowed to do this and doesn't have to justify itself. That's yeah. when it really became the show it was supposed to be. But you've done more than just hang out, right? Yeah, we've been sleeping with each other since the summer. I'm sure you can understand I feel a bit of an idiot. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. When it lost all its uh, its need to justify its existence, it became this entitled, glossy-haired, <laughs> le- thoroughbred. leggy thoroughbred, just bloody well taking up the space it's owed. <laughs> but it's interesting that it feels the need to, at the beginning justify itself as television. Yeah. Because there's a feeling that maybe you might have seen the American versions of this, you might have seen The Hills and gone, this is garbage. Yeah. And it's trying to say, oh, actually, don't worry. Yeah. This is television. And what it reminded me of was the process by which a lot of programmes on television are made that are storylined within an inch of their lives, like other things, like soap opera. Yeah. And you watch them thinking they're real without realising how storylined they are. Very much. And this is as dishonest as Top Gear. Oh, Yeah. As anything, as any as any show that has different cameras, um, editing, a director, yeah, of course, it's completely fabricated. Even if you look it up on to watch on all four, it yeah. says blah 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 blah. Uh, Kagi has gone to look at a horse, um, and then it was <laughs> afterwards. Full stop. And it's only got a few characters. It says some scenes have been created for your entertainment, right? And, and no you, matter how many times they say that, you in, you see it, you internalize it. You go, yep. So some of this isn't real. And then it's because the co- the codification is all you're being told a story. You just forget. And you don't mind. What I noticed was it says that on this as if to say, don't worry, it's second class television. Yeah. I don't see that on Top Gear. No. Something aimed at men <laughs> never says some scenes have been invented for entertainment, even though I understood whenever I've watched Top Gear, none of this really happened. Yeah. They didn't really go there. Richard Hammond didn't really get a traction it's engine ser- by mistake. It's serving suggestion, isn't it? It's like no need, no need. I know, I know that that that, that those peas on that sort of golden dish with a knob of butter. It's not actually like that in the packet. I get it. I get it. But there's a feeling that this thing, which you have is to tell women, in was trash for women. They might mistake it for the real thing. You better put a label on there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Weirdly, men are allowed to know yeah. that that's bullshit and to enjoy the fun of it. But the, the patronising nature of going. Every time, not just at the beginning of the programme. Yeah. On the actual EPG, you've got 200 characters. Some of those characters say, oh, just in case you mistake this for the real thing. I think people know. I'm amazed. It feels like in the last two years, this has really changed by the amount of programmes now that aren't anywhere near this genre that are straight comedies, straight dramas that are now preceded by product placement, includes yeah. product placement. Like a programme where you just think it's not appropriate and I don't care what brand of whiskey they're drinking. Suddenly, you're much more aware that TV is inserting more and more kind of artifice. I mean, it's always yeah. been hugely artificial, but it's it's becoming much more pumped with additives now than it ever used to be, I think. But it's it's a way of saying this needs to be funded somehow. Yeah. We're going to show you how we make the sausages. Yeah. Um, But I think what this programme and programmes like it say to its audience quite knowingly is, you really want to watch something like this. Yeah. And because you really want to watch something like this, to have that effect and to make it in the quantities we make it so that the comfort is always there for you. Yeah. You sign up a deal with us, which yeah. is that some of this is real and some of it's pretend. Some of it is sponsored. Some of it isn't really happening. Yeah. You want this comfort to always be there. Yeah. That's the same contract that's made on lots of shows. Yeah. And I think perhaps this is the most comfortable version of that for me. If we're talking about comfort blanket. Because obviously, I think I'd probably find if I delved into lots of reality TV, maybe I would find that comforting too. But I haven't done 
because of the things you talked about, because of my background. But this one, I do feel comfortable about giving myself over to because I don't think anyone is hugely down on the deal in, in the way that they are in lots of television production situations. I think that's why I find it so comforting. When you watch TV, there are two things to bear in mind. One is what you're getting out of it. Yeah. And what you want. Yeah. And most viewers know that. One of the great things about the massive over splurging of content we've got is you can choose your show. Yeah. It used to be that everyone sat down and watched the same thing. We didn't have very much choice. And yeah, yeah that's why viewing figures were massive. And You yeah. vaguely liked comedy, so you vaguely watched the big comedy show. Yeah. So Only Fools and Horses might have been 5% wrong for your family, but you still watched it and it, sure. was, and it was good enough for you to be delighted by it. Whereas now you can watch specifically what you want. Yeah. When people talk about these shows, they tend to talk about them as if they're a trick. I a trick so. on the audience going, oh, you can't watch that. It thinks you think it's real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a hugely patronising misunderstanding of the contract it's got with its audience, yeah. I think. Yeah. And what it's doing is it's saying, this is what you want to watch, so we will make it. There's something incredibly honest about that, isn't there? Yeah. You know you <laughs> yeah. want this. And it's really funny. I was thinking, it replaced, because it replaced Friends yeah. in that uh, slot for E4, and it became a thing where the American imports got too expensive, so they wanted a cheap thing that would fill... They didn't replace it with a British... They kept trying to make a British version of Friends. Oh, yeah. But a British version of Friends, for various reasons I can bore on about, is impossible to make because of the way that the British comedy system works. Exactly. The, the payment of writers, the writing system. <laughs> oh, uh, God. And how little, this so is where I live. <laughs> but it's impossible. You Why can't, do you think I want to go to Chelsea? <laughs> you can't do that. So what they did is they instead said, what can we watch with the same active ingredients yeah. as Friends? What will taste like Friends? Not be made like Friends from a production point of view, but consumed like friends from a viewer's point of view. I feel like they wired up viewers' brains and yeah. said, which bits are lighting up? Okay, that, that and that. Okay, well, all we need to do is make that happen again. Yeah. Doesn't matter how. It's not, but weirdly, not even in a cynical way. They went, oh, that, that does the same thing. And this, I don't think they actually did that, but it feels yeah. like that's, that's kind of the formula. <laughs> that's how effective it is. But they found another product yeah. that had the same brain effect. It's like what they do with um, with when they're experimenting with uh, pharmaceuticals and drugs. It has the same <laughs> anti-inflammatory properties as friends. Yeah, and it's really well when you talk to younger people. I talked to my niece about it. Massive, massive uh, fan of Friends. Yeah, and the way she and her generation consume it, much, much younger than me. I watched it as a sitcom, right. which reminded me of Cheers. She doesn't watch it as that. She watches it as a super soap, binges it not ah. once a week, watches thirty episodes at once, and is totally invested in which one's going out with which one. I don't think anyone in television who was making sitcoms thought that's what Friends was doing to people. No, but I guess they became wise to it, didn't they? Because yeah. the Ross and Rachel thing was absolutely gigantic in our culture and yeah. the kind of on again, off again. I think the relationships took precedence in a way that probably some people didn't like. Anyway, her and Ross just started yelling at each other. Wait, why was he yelling at her? He's the one who slept with someone else. Well, I guess he says that because they were on a break when it happened that she should have forgiven him by now. Whoa, he is so unreasonable. God, although I think I understand what he means. Those long arcs came in because the point of a sitcom is it resets every week. Yes. Suddenly what Friends said is people will watch this in the same way they watch Dawson's yeah, Creek yeah. and the OC. They will watch it for the long, slow burn yeah. of relationships. I didn't think there was a relationship to jeopardize. I thought we were broken up. We were on a break. That, for all I knew, could last forever. That, to me, is a break up. And what you can replace that with is not a thing that costs a million quid a cast member. No. You can replace it with something that has the same effect on the audience as binge-watching Friends. Exactly. Fronds. They replace Friends Fronds. with Fronds. Yes! And that's all they've done. We are not friends. And yet people go, oh, I don't understand why anyone watches this. And you went, do you know what yeah. soap operas and sitcoms and continuing drama do to your brain? Yeah. They do this. Exactly that. Exactly that. You sat with me in, in that bar and you said, yes, I was selfish. I put my feelings before my best friend. Yeah. I'm, I want to say, yes, that makes me feel better about watching it. But I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't feel bad about watching it. I genuinely don't. You, you could spend all day telling people why it's good and why it lights up those bits of your brain and why, uh, why the production's so clever. But I think uh, there will always be people who just think it's trash and are a hard no. But my brain lights up, my pleasure centres flicker into life across all like artistic forms with emotional stories. I, and, and I really do like following long emotional arcs. I like getting to know someone. I like having a relationship with the people I'm yeah. watching. Sort of no matter who they are, really, if you can invest in them emotionally, you can invest in them full stop. I watch people on Made in Chelsea in a way that I'd watch Coronation Street. I did watch soaps for a while, largely for work, and didn't, by the end, didn't take much joy in them. 
but this is my soap if I have to have one of these, which I think I do. I think I want emotional continuity and something that I keep coming back to, familiar people that I know. And it's always a little bit traumatic when there's new... They're, they're very good about introducing cast members in Made in Chelsea. They'll just do a little dribble here, a little dribble there. They won't just suddenly, you know, send them all off a cliff in a bus crash and say, <laughs> new people. <laughs> but they'll artificially end a series with like a big ball or a party. Like right. someone says, I'm having a drinks party. Like they've hired... For nothing. <laughs> I've hired a venue. I've got wait staff, like ladies with spa. Someone on horseback for nothing. Like they do it all the time. Even when they're falsely engineering finales, for example, yeah. they might have an emotional story and they'll try and get a big confrontation. But if they don't have it, they'll just have like fireworks and everyone going, cheers. Um, they throw their heads back. It's low stakes, but it is emo. It's, I don't know. Normally you'd associate high stakes with emotional investment, but I'm emotionally invested in the smallness of it yeah. in a way that's entirely sustainable. Like I'd be exhausted if they were constantly. They're not standing up and having screaming rows. Very occasionally, maybe once a series, someone gets a drink in their face, which is delightfully posh. Like a really nice glass of wine will just be, someone will be wearing it by the end of the scene. Anyway, I think, oh God, no, you're wasting. Oh, shit. But they're like, I can not waste it. I don't care that the episode I made you watch has um, Maeve, the Parisian uh, model who is superb. She is absolutely furious most of the time. Every French horse. She's constantly stamping her hooves. She's wonderful. Just the perfect person for television. You said to my boyfriend, you shouldn't marry my It's not about you. And it's you don't know me. Why do you open your mouth? She can't understand why wanting to be married hasn't translated into her being immediately married. <laughs> Entitlement again. And so her stakes are, she's just furious that the boyfriend has yet to propose. Yeah. Um, so again, that feels pretty low level. Yeah, I'm going to die. It's, it's fine. fine. And actually, as we record this, um, I think tonight she's going to propose to him. That's the story that so. we're watching. So, you know, again, pretty low stakes. And if you know what, if, if he says no, she'll be snapped up by someone else before the credits have finished rolling. No one is going to get hurt. <laughs> so their safety makes me feel safe. The fact that everyone is wrapped in cotton wool and has crash helmets on, <laughs> even as they're being thrown down Niagara Falls, makes me feel really good about spending time in their world it feels it does it feels completely artificial and yet somehow it looks so real and and such a beautiful version of real that it's that, that it's a place i relish spending time i remember was it in star trek uh where they had like the vr deck, the Is holodeck. That star- yeah the holodeck <laughs> i feel like it's my holodeck <laughs> like if there was a vr version maybe i'd do it because then i could pretend i was one of them yeah. Like one of these uh, like steak-free kind of willowy blondes who just drifted <laughs> through bars throwing champagne over men. Like, wonderful. Um, yeah, it's my holodeck and I, I hope it never ends. It won't end, will it? How can it? There's nothing at stake. The money pours in. Nat- it wash- they don't breathe air. They just breathe money. It's a stud farm of attractive people yeah. that will never end because that's how our culture works. Wonderful, isn't it? They're safe. <laughs> And yet, they're the most hateful people on earth. We won't be laughing when Jimmy Biscuits becomes Prime Minister. Oh, God, that's going to happen. That's going to burst the bubble and then I'll never watch it again, I promise. Um, the moment it becomes real, crosses over into anything real, <laughs> you're, you're, you're out then, aren't you? You'll only have watched 47 series of <laughs> I'm glad to find out you're all right. That's really good news. This has been a very good intervention. I've enjoyed it. <laughs> Thanks, love. <laughs> Cheers. Comfort Blanket was presented and produced by Joel Morris for the Cheese and Pickle family of podcasts. Find us on social media and don't forget to like and subscribe. <laughs>